I love being in the cage. I, 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 you know, it doesn't intimidate me at all. I know some people are like, oh, how do you feel about, you know, being locked in the cage with somebody else that wants to kill you? I'm like, I love it. I love it. There's not a thing about it that, that I dislike. Um, it's, it's always what I wanted to do. And, and I, I enjoy doing it. I, I think it's fun. As soon as my fight ended on Friday, I was like, oh, I could fight again right now. I, I, I was just having the time of my life. What's up, everybody? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcast for Rafa Sparza coming to you with another great installment of the Grappling Hour. How are you doing today? I hope it's well, and here's why. We have one of our favorite guests on the line today, and we'll get back to her in a second. But for right now, I want to tell you this. We're obviously very excited about our win, but I got to do the plugs first, and then we can get to this very wonderful conversation we're about to have. However, if you guys like this show, and I hope that you do, and you want to support it, you can always go over to high.page backslash grappling hour and you can give us some love there. How does that work? Well, if you want to become a member and see these interviews 30 days before anybody else, you just go on over to high.page backslash grappling hour. You give us a few dollars and guess what? It supports the show. When you support the show, we get to buy new gadgets. We get to travel. Hint. Mm, travel. And we get to take the show on the road essentially. So. It helps pay for a lot of stuff. And for a few extra dollars, you could see some tape studies. I just finished one with our friend Diego uh, Perez, and it was a great knockout that he did. And we spent 10 minutes going over his techniques and how he was able to set it up. It's amazing, among other things. You can also see a segment that we call Roast Graph, where people come on and roast my competition footage. Because, uh, you know, I mean, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, what they say is funny. Uh, what I do is uh, deeply scarring in my brain. Even the ones I win, I'm kind of like, eh, it's okay. So you can check that out and extra bonus content that's not available anywhere else. All right, what do I say about our guest? Again, we've already mentioned, she's one of our favorites. And if we're being honest, it's hard not to root for her. I mean, she's super nice, super smiley, super deadly, uh, to the point where I, when I was watching her fight the other day, I just said, um, they, they could stop this fight at any time, honestly, because uh, th this is a wrap, you know? You know, when you watch those fights and you go, I want to protect your opponent. I want her to, to have a nice holiday. But you know who's going to have a great holiday? Uh, longtime friend of the show, one, Fatima Klein. Fatima, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Very well. Well, I have to say, you went from being interviewed by CM Punk to me, so you've really come a, a far way now at this point to going to one of the most recognizable human beings. Uh, is that a surreal experience? Because he's somebody that we, we've seen on TV. We know he's a part of our community. He's a big fan. But what did it feel like to have that interaction with this dude who is a pro wrestler who loves our sport? who now is all of a sudden commentating your fights. Oh, it was so awesome. The funniest part was that I, I completely forgot that he does the post-fight uh, interviews. So uh, almost, I think it was the day before, I think it was Wayne Day. Um, actually, Aaron Blanchfield was like, you know, CM Punk does like the post-fight interviews. And I was like, I got excited right away. I was super hyped. I was super pumped. But I was like, all right, well, I got to win first so I can actually be interviewed by him. Um, and I was super stoked. I watched him in the WWE when I was in middle school, so I knew exactly who he was. Um, and it was awesome. I, I had a great time. I, he, he asked me some real good questions and gave me the opportunity to, to really, uh, you know, uh, speak about the future and what I want in the future. And so, yeah, I definitely had a great time fighting and a great time talking to CM Punk. So I just, it, I always laugh because when I see those moments, there are people who we root for. And they're always like, you know, when it's you, you go, oh, man, I, I really hope things go well. Things do go well. You talk to him and I just go, this is so funny to me. Like, he's a dude who I watch as well. And I go, oh. And the thing that he's known best for in the pro wrestling side is 
he know he has such a good mouth. Like he's so good at putting people over. And when he is on the microphone, he's doing such a good job of like saying nice things. So it's like a double bonus when I go, he's putting over Fatima. That's like awesome. So <laughs> I get super, super happy about that. Now you did allude to this, which you said he asked you some good questions about your future. So let's get into that. What are you thinking for your future? What are you looking at? Because at this point, things keep going so nicely for you and I see a nice trajectory, but what is it that you want? So I want exactly what I kind of asked for in the, um, in the post fire interview. You know, I, I said that I believe I belong in the UFC now. Um, I have a belt under my name. I'm five and zero right now, three finishes and only two decisions. Um, and yeah, I, I'm ready to take the next step. You know, if, if, the next step doesn't come, then I, I want to fight for the 115 pound belt um, for CFFC. And then hopefully from there, I, I've become almost like undeniable, you know, um, I, I'm going to give them no choice but to have to uh, accept me in. And, and that's my plan. If I could get it sooner, though, that's what I really want. But, you know, I'm always ready to take the fights to get me to where to where I want to be. So, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, after the performance that we saw on Friday, I was kind of like, yeah, that, that's one of those undeniable performances because this is what happens. I have it on my phone. I'm watching it. Wife and I are just hanging out on a Friday. And I was thinking, I was like, Has she fought yet? Because I didn't watch the full event. I go, I should probably tune in. So I call it up on my phone. I get live. And live is happening maybe just a little bit into the fight. And I go, oh, okay, I caught it. Oh, yeah, we could stop this fight. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're done here. And my wife, like, sees me reacting. And I'm like, I just, ah, it's such a good performance for you. So I'm happy initially. But then I immediately get into, I think, you know, I've seen enough here. I think we're good. I thought that you had uh, gotten a wrap. So the referee definitely gave your opponent time to respond so, like, when you're in the middle of that, I just, I know you fairly well in the sense that I get the impression that at that point you're probably having a blast because you're like, oh, this is working. I can see that this is finished, is happening. It's it's coming down the pipeline. So do you mind walking us through what was going on uh, through your head throughout that fight? Yeah, yeah, you know, um, I actually had a change of opponents last minute, so I, I didn't really get a full camp to um, to really, you know, study her and study what she does. So I, I was relying purely, and, you know, a lot of times you want to rely purely on what you do and what you're good at. Um, but, man, she was, she, was a good, she was a good boxer. She was keeping her hands up super, super high and super tight. Um, so it was really – I was having trouble um, landing heavy – uh, towards the up, upper body, towards her head and her inner face. So I was relying a lot of like body kicks. And throughout my whole camp, I was strictly training a lot of striking, a lot of Muay Thai rounds with the girls at, at the gym that I train at in Jersey. Um, and so my coach was just telling me to be patient. You know, she was super tight on the ground. So then when I would take her down, then I didn't really see any submissions happening. Um, then we would stand up and she was like a, a brick wall. I'd, I'd hit her with everything I possibly could. And she just stood there and I was like, oh my God, the, po the poker face she had was like incredible. Um, I didn't feel like I was breaking her down at all, but I, I knew I had the cardio to last all five rounds if I needed to. So I knew I would be able to wear her down. Um, and so it, it was just a matter of wear and tear. You know, my coaches told me to be patient and to keep doing what I was doing and you know, uh, my striking was working, my wrestling, my grappling was working. They were super happy about it. Um, and by the third round, I knew I only had either one more round to actually finish it. Um, so I was like, I I'm going to need to finish it now. I don't, I don't want to wait till a fourth round to have to. Um, I know what the matchmakers are looking for. They're looking for, like, exciting finishers, and that's what I want to be. Um, and, I, and I definitely think I proved that. So, Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I was in that mode where, I don't know, it, it, like we never know exactly what people are saying behind the scenes or in the corners, but I just made a pretty good guess where I'm like, oh, if they didn't tell her to get a finish, which you get the impression they did, 
I go, I think the robot part of her brain that goes into assassin mode was like, <laughs> oh, okay, activate, go. Because my <laughs> wife, who doesn't know a ton about fighting, was looking at that footage and just goes, yeah, she flipped a switch. Like, she, she's <laughs> really, she's in it, in that space now. And I go, yeah, I go, that's the nicest part. I go, you would never tell that by any of our interviews or any of the interactions I see you have out of here. I go, just the nicest person in the world, just not in the cage and everywhere else, uh, just a wonderful person to be around. And she just starts laughing and I go, yeah. And I go, well, I think we're going to interview soon. So this is definitely a performance we're celebrating. Now, of course, you were mentioning that when that does happen, though, and you are getting frustrated, how are you able to calm the part of your brain that's like, you know, normally this would knock somebody out or normally this would be done or a wrap? How is it that you're able to kind of focus that to make sure that it's going to be efficient because it looked really good. So whatever you did here or with your coaches, I think you were able to channel that well. Yeah, I, I think I really relied on on what my coaches were telling me. Um, when I sat back at the corner, I literally, I sat down on a stool and I was like, I can't finish her. You know what I mean? They Because they knew I, I was going into this one like, I need a finish. I had my first two fights were finishes, then my second two were decisions, and I really weren't, ha I wasn't happy with those fights. So they knew how badly and how, how badly I wanted it and how much I needed a finish. Um, and they were just like, yo, relax. Like, it'll, it'll come. You have like four or five rounds to find it. Um, the more you rush it, the more you're going to, you know, make openings for yourself and you're not going to find it. Um, so yeah, I, I really relied on what they were telling me. I, I relied on, you know, um, just doing everything that I've been doing, uh, that whole fight leading up into the third round and just wear and tear, you know, uh, a lot of people can take, okay, like a, a hard right hand, a hard kick, but can you take that over three, four or five rounds? Not many people could do that. And so I, I, I knew that eventually that I'd be able to find it. It was just a matter of time and um, yeah, just staying calm and believing in what my coaches were telling me and, and believing that my skill would definitely lead me to a finish. It did. And I was so happy for you. The reason why I asked that is, you know, I know sometimes in my brain when I go, all right, go, go gadget, finish this person. When I'm rolling with somebody, there's almost an equal battle where if you're not getting the result you want, mentally it's hard to stay that focused because if you're a perfectionist and i certainly am you get kind of uh not mad but you get frustrated easily so it's easy to get into that but from what you're saying it sounded like your coaches were able to say like hey we see what you want but we see the path happening if you just stay the course because you're actually doing it you just don't feel that way so I, yeah, I think 100%. that's a very impressive uh, trait to be able to have because not everybody can do that. A lot of people will start beating themselves up and take themselves out of the opportunity. But you were very much in that. Now, you mentioned this. Was this the first time that you would have had potentially uh, more rounds? Because is it because of that title fight in itself that it, it could have been extended? And, and what did that training feel like if it was one of the first times for you like that? Oh, yeah, I know CFFC for title fights, they do like four rounds, minimum five rounds if if it's still tied. Um, so going into it, I, I went into it having to go all five rounds. You know, I, I want to prepare that whoever I'm fighting is going to come in at 100%. Um, they're going to be in the best of the world at that moment. And so I wanted to be ready to, to really have to go all five rounds and have the same cardio from start to finish. Um, so it was definitely a learning experience all throughout my camp, having to, you know, spar five fives um, two, three times a week, doing extra rounds on the either bike sprints or running, jump rope, um, any type of extra cardio I had to do. Obviously, it, it it's longer. It's, you know, it's taking more of a toll on your body. You're training for six, eight weeks, you know. Um, so it all adds up. But, man, when I was fighting, I, I, I felt like, Cardio was on a whole different level. Um, this was by far the best camp I've ever had. Um, so I got to learn so much on uh, in the future how I can prepare for other title fights. I learned a lot about my diet and, and how to really get my body down to the weight it needs to be. 
Um, and yeah, so I feel like I definitely learned a lot and I'm excited for my next camp to use what I've learned and put it into practice for next time. Good on you because I had wondered that. So whenever I see on like tapology or something, you do the research, you know, normally it says five, five minute rounds yours. When it said four, 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 I was like, what does that mean? Like, you know, it, it, oh, so it takes a second because you look at it that. and I go, I know it yeah. should be five rounds, but I love the fact that they had four, 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 four. And I go, can we, we should just say five rounds. Like, cause essentially if it's yeah. tied, you're going to have a fifth round. So that means it is essentially five rounds and it doesn't matter because you're still training for those 25 minutes, no matter what. Um, but I feel though it is good to have those impulses, those ability to get there because in your head you always want to be prepared for that scenario and you see some fighters who are so good at being three round fighters that when they go to those five rounds it's just like what is this so if you're already starting yeah. to hit that peak for cardio that's got to feel uh, really really good so we always ask as customary how do celebrations go and and in terms of celebrations uh, were you out in Memphis? Was that where you were for this one? Or where was this fight for you? So the fight itself was in uh, Tunica, Mississippi. So honestly, there wasn't really <laughs> much around. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, it's kind of, it was a great place to fight. I, I, I really loved the venue they did. Uh, the crowd was awesome. But there wasn't really much celebrating besides gambling. And I went back up to my room and I ate like five cinnamon rolls. And like, that was my, <laughs> that was my celebration. I'm going to be honest with you. One of the guys who had like a, a PKB little smoker kind of a thing out our way. Um, he comes back to the gym and, uh, you know, he's got a little bit of an injury now. So he's not able to train. And I just see him eating a Cinnabon in the office yeah and i'm like what are you doing dude he goes oh yeah i'm just having a cinnabon because you know i can't train i go that's fair <laughs> and then i look at him and i go okay well that's cool i go is that your breakfast he goes no but it's my second one i've had today and i go dude and then yeah. i immediately go you know what <laughs> he just had a thing i can't get on him but you're telling me that you had multiple cinnabons because you were like you know what? This is what the body craves. So of all things you could have, that was where you were going to. Yeah, yeah. It definitely it wouldn't normally be my go-to if I was like home or or around somewhere that had a little bit more civilization. But it was what I could get from the supermarket and what I was craving. And so I made them right before I fought. That way they'd be ready as soon as I was done. Um, so my plan was perfect. I made them, they came out great. I bought and then I ate practically all of them. I gave like my sister one, um, and I just smashed the rest. Then I got a burger, played some roulette and then, yeah, pulled like an all nighter cause my flight was at like 6am. So that whole, my flight till like Saturday night at like six o'clock was a, an entire blur. Yeah, no, that, that definitely does happen. Anybody who's uh, pulled an all-nighter will tell you there are parts of the memory that may go missing. So you actually made your food. See, I was under the understanding you bought the packaged, like uh, the actual Cinnabon official versions, which oh, at that point yeah. I was like, you put away five of those? I do not believe you. But the ones that you make yourself, this is special for two reasons. One... Totally get it. Five, you can do. I do believe that now. But yeah. uh, the fact that you made it for yourself has a certain kind of like, <laughs> just going to go put these in the oven and go in a fight and then I'm going to give it to myself. So I, I like yeah. the, the calmness and then like the progression of you getting back home and being like, well, that was fun. Where's my Cinnabons <laughs> that I made for myself? So. I think that that's a, a very nice touch and for you to share it even, even better. But you did spend, <laughs> so you did end up going, uh, flying out of Memphis or, or traveling a little bit out that way before doing it. So was that part of the flight or where did that go? 
Yeah, so I flew in and out of Memphis, Tennessee, which it, great area. I, I really enjoyed where we were. We got to sightsee a little bit, so that was awesome. And then from Memphis to Mississippi, uh, Tunica, Mississippi is like a 40-minute drive. Um, so we just went back and forth every day. Um, that way I can be able to train in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And, yeah, then we took one last ride back, and now I'm here back in New York. I'm sure this feels nice to be at home, especially this quickly. So one of the things that I'm very happy about is some fighters get stuck where they are. You're already back home. It's only been three days, so that's got to feel really, really good. What about Memphis stuck out to you? Because honestly, I would love to say this. I, I used to live in Kentucky for a little bit for school, and I loved Nashville. But Nashville is way far away <laughs> whenever you're going to Memphis. Yeah. It's, it's not quite in the cards. But what stuck out to you in terms of sightseeing? When you said you got a little bit of time, I saw one of your photos and I thought that looked great. But, you know, did you have any moments? Is there anything that you, you particularly liked or any food places that you stopped that you were kind of like, all right, that's kind of fun? Um, Actually, the one place that stuck out to me, I mean, the whole all of Memphis kind of looked like you were almost like back in time in a sense. Um, I felt like I was in like the movie the whole time. Um, but I got to see uh, Graceland. So I got to see where Elvis Presley lived in all of his like costumes and his cars and his, and his plane. And the whole tour was like two hours long. Um, and I feel like I almost like know him personally now that <laughs> by taking that tour. So that's definitely something really cool that we were able to do. Um, I wasn't able to eat anything though, which which was rough. But my coaches and my family all got a chance to eat, and they said they they really enjoyed the food. So I'll have to go back just to try maybe a burger or some fried chicken. So I should ask this though: uh, Why the no eating? Is it just you're not in the space to eat? You don't feel like eating because if they're having all this food, I don't know how I would be if people are eating great delicious food around me. Especially if you get, like, anything fried in the, the South. Like, they don't care what it is. Literally, especially in Indiana, they would have fairs. And my friends would go, have you had a, a fried Oreo? And I'd be like, no. Oh, that was good. <laughs> but, but then, I'd go, okay. <laughs> I was like, that, I know that, what you're saying. <laughs> but, but that's something you know. And then they're like, oh, they have uh, fried Choco Tacos. They have fried this, fried that. And I go, guys. It's fine to do those every once in a while, but it sounds like they eat this on a regular basis and I can't get behind that. <laughs> like once a fried Oreo sounds great. I saw the portions they give you for the fried Oreos at Indiana and I go, this is too much. So was there any particular reason you were not eating at that moment? Uh, well, it, it was right before the fight. Um, ah, before, even though it got, got changed it. to like, yeah, yeah. Even though the fight got changed to like 125, um, I was like, oh, probably having fried chicken isn't the best idea right before I fight. Um, so, and then obviously after the fight, I, I barely had enough time. I ate like a burger at one of the places in um, in the casino, which you can't consider that like real Memphis, Mississippi food. Um, but I did have a burger and I did like the burger a lot. Okay. I missed out I'll, on fried chicken, which I'm I'll a get... little upset about, but... <laughs> 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 you know, here's the nice part that I'm seeing about your life where it's at right now. You seem to be getting all of these wonderful experiences, whether for yourself or for your friends or other people where you're, you are traveling. So I think because you're just still in the thick of it, you, there's going to be more places you travel, more places you go. Some are going to be crazy in terms of, well, this isn't very exciting. And some are going to be places that you're like, I would have never come here had it not been for competition. Yeah. <laughs> Having said that, I think you're probably going to get some good uh, different types of food. And I'm pretty sure you'll get another crack at some uh, very delicious fried food. I do appreciate that you went to Elvis's place. Uh, had you ever grown up listening to Elvis's music, though? So that, to me, is something that I'm, I'm trying to figure out here because my dad was a huge Elvis fan. But, you know, when you're listening to your parents' stuff, and I'm older than you, you always go like, oh, I can't get into this. This isn't my music. 
you're like five generations removed from Elvis, <laughs> and yet you were like, yeah. yeah, sure, tell me all about him. So was it that your family or your friends wanted to go check the place out? Or did you want to go there just because you knew it was a, a historic area? Uh, and if so, did you ever have any connection to his music or, or listen to any of it? Not really me personally. Definitely I, li I, I would listen to it because my parents listened to it. But the funniest part about it was is that my mom was actually watching Elvis Presley's uh, documentary on Netflix. And then when we got there, she was like, oh, my God, we have to go see it. And so we went to go see it. And she was like, the documentary is so accurate. She felt like she was almost like, like in there with it. You know what I mean? Um, so she was having the time of her life. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. Just because, you know, I know it's a business trip for me, but, you know, I still want to give, you know, the people that come out with me a chance to enjoy themselves, you know, and, and be able to experience the travel. Uh, unfortunately, my parents aren't big travelers and they never really were. And now that I'm fighting that they've almost been able to become big travelers. And so, yeah, I, I really wanted them to get a chance to experience it. And, and they loved it. See, that's so great because uh, again, mentioning that my dad was such a huge Elvis fan to me, there's a, a thing that's kind of synonymous, which is we would go to Vegas and my parents would always listen to Elvis. And what I didn't know when I was really young is that my dad actually took my mom to Elvis when they were uh, going to Vegas. They made going to Vegas a regular trip. And he would sing oh, to her cool. and it would be very sweet. But when you're a kid, you're just like, this is lame. This is really dumb. So I would always <laughs> make fun of him for singing to her because he would do the Elvis impression. And you would just sit there and think this is insane. And then you find out that, yeah, my, my dad, when he took her to see Elvis live, my mom didn't even like Elvis. She was like, I don't care for him. I don't really. Oh. He's washed up. Whatever. Oh and then man, he tried. <laughs> and then, well, they they heard his voice, and my mom goes, "Oh, I get this now." So that became something that they bond over. <laughs> and for us as kids, we always associated like Elvis with going to Vegas, which meant gambling. And you did mention gambling, and I am a bit of a compulsive gambler. So you mentioned of all things you went to, you were going to the roulette table. Of all things, why are you going to the roulette table? What about it speaks to you? And were you gambling on any other sorts of tables or slots? Like what speaks to you when you're going out there to gamble? So honestly, roulette is the only game I really know how to play. And I've done pretty good with it so far. I've been able to win a couple hundred bucks on the couple times that I played. I just like it because there's like literally no skill to it. Like I could just throw chips and have my eyes closed and it could possibly land on something and I could win. Um, but I also was playing blackjack, but I was getting coached. So what, uh, Marshall, my um, nutritionist, he was coaching me through it because I didn't really know how to play. Um, and that was fun, but man, I, I just like the luck of the draw. I, I just like throwing chips out there and, and hopefully it lands on a number and I hit. So let me get this straight. Your nutritionist is also your supplier for numbers. Like, get you a nutritionist yeah. to make sure that he's <laughs> counting all of your grams and at the same time also making sure he can count cards for you because uh, that, that's pretty dope. I have to tell you this. I think <laughs> there is a good skill in learning blackjack. Uh, it can be difficult for mm -hmm. some people, but it, it's, it's more intimidating than anything. I, I think most people know how to play it. It's just when they get to the table, they can get uh, a little nervous. May I make a suggestion for you? Yes, please do. <laughs> so if you're ever in on what we call like uh, you're in on a heater, which means you had some good luck, which meant, I don't know, maybe you won a title uh, with a, a championship belt that's as big as you are. <laughs> you're coming in with some good vibes. You should find yourselves a craps table now. If your nutritionist is worth his weight in gold, you should 100% be taking that momentum. And now you just made that face and made me wonder, did you visit a craps table yes. while you were there then? I've been trying to find somebody that knows how to play that can coach me because I've been watching YouTube videos and I've been wanting to play craps so bad. 
but I can't figure out how to play it through YouTube. It's really not helping. So I, I've yet to come across someone that knows how to play that can coach me and like teach me how to do it. But now that you say it, I might need, a, I might need some private lessons. Again, I'm happy to always be a, a person who helps direct you in the right place. But let me just say this. So craps is good for this reason. So uh, there are a lot of different tables where people are kind of rooting against you. Like poker, you're not there to make friends. But mm -hmm. sometimes blackjack, people get pretty behind you and they can't necessarily always tell you what to do. Like the dealer can 100% tell you like, you have this. I am instructed to tell you this. Craps <laughs> is all about the feel of the table. So if you have a good table... They'll kind of tell you what to do. And all you have to do is okay. just mention to a bunch of compulsive gamblers that you just want a title. <laughs> and they're going to think to themselves, oh, I want to help her. She seems like she had some good luck. And they're going to hand you the dice. Yeah. And I feel like if anything happens okay. there, I feel like you throwing the dice is going to make people very comfortable. And they'll tell you, they're like, yo, you should be doing this or you should be doing this until you get to there. So I always like to tell people this. You don't always have to be the world's best uh, understander of the rules. But if gamblers see you walk in there and they especially understand you just won something, they're going to be like, let her throw. Let's just see what she does. I want to see if uh, she throws. Uh, I'm going to uh, need one. to do it now. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's and it's there's nothing more fun than a craps table that comes alive like that because that whole team is rooting with each other so there, there is a little bit of a camaraderie and uh you know i'm saying this because i just told you i was like well i'm glad we're doing this interview now because i'm about to go on vacation and i realize i'm saying this as i'm getting ready to go back to vegas so yeah <laughs> i myself i'm like oh shit now i'm getting getting the itch myself so i'm gonna have to call some people and tell yeah. them like, yeah, we're hitting a craps table <laughs> so okay that's awesome a few things here I've noticed in the past few months, uh, well, I mean, I guess it's been some time longer than even that, but you have been in the corner of of Aaron Blanchfield, and she is on a great tear in the UFC. And I've just wondered, like, how did you guys get paired up? And to me, it, like, it seems like such a good pairing because I had the opportunity to interview her a long time ago for EBI. And when she had the, that great performance at EBI, I just, I had this impression of her. I was like, okay, I could see her doing very good things. And she clearly is surpassing even those expectations. And so I'm, I'm so happy for her and knowing that you're working with her makes me even more happy. But how did you guys get paired up? And, and what has that relationship been like in terms of how you guys have been able to build off of each other's great, great attributes? Yeah, it's actually a really funny start. So I was uh, having my amateur debut against somebody she was training with um, at the time. And so when I won that fight, um, her coach and now my coach, Augie Matias, Augie was there coaching uh, another one of his fighters. Um, and he came he came to me after I won my fight and he was like, hey, uh, listen, I got a girl, Erin um, Blanchfield, um, kind of around your size if you if you want to come up and train. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was, I think, four years ago it might have been now. Um, so it's been a while now. And, and um, yeah, I started working, working with Augie Matias shortly after that. Um, and then Erin invited me to come train at um, David Cordoba's gym. Um, out in Jersey as well, uh, and yeah, now now we share all the same home gyms. Um, I'm at Silver Fox BJJ with Frankie Roberts now, and yeah, training has been awesome. Being being able to be in our corner has been literally like I I, I couldn't ask to to have a better experience. Being able to um, not only support her but to to be able to learn myself and and see what my future might be looking like. Um, and kind of just get to, you know, uh, really like take the experience and, and, and really run with it. I've seen how she's done under pressure and, and all the media stuff now and these high level fights and, and, and see how see been able to see how calm she is and how confident she is during her, uh, her camps. And I, I've really been learning about that and, and really trying to apply it to my, to myself as well. 
Um, and yeah, we're, we're, we're winning these big fights. We're, we're training together. We're working hard in the gym. We have the best coaches in the world behind us. And, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited what's next for her. Um, hopefully it's a championship. Who knows? But she'll be there soon enough. And hopefully, yeah, I'll get my UFC opportunity soon too. So it's all good things going on. <laughs> so that dynamic has made me laugh so much because <laughs> I see such great professionalism in her and I see you on that same trajectory. So like when I saw the two of you paired up, I go, oh, yeah, those have to be great rounds. Those have to be great things that happen Dangerous back and forth. Duo. <laughs> yeah, like... You know, sometimes people, they just fit and, you know, I didn't meet you guys together. So it's not like I had this vision of you guys working. And when you live on the East Coast, it, it might as well be another country to me because I go, I don't know what that training looks like. <laughs> I know we talk and I can ask you about it. But then when I saw the visual of you guys together, you know, sometimes your brain goes, are they fighting? Oh, no, they're they're actually training with each other. That makes more sense. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> but when that happens... I wanted to know this because you always look like you're having the time of your life in her corner. Like every time I've seen you on TV in that corner, obviously things <laughs> are going well. So you're, you're all bright smiles and I just see you light up there. So how many times have you been in her corner at this point now? So it's been twice. Yeah, I was there for the Andrade fight, and then I was there in Singapore when she fought against uh, Talia. So, yeah. <laughs> it's intense. Yo, it is intense being in the corner of somebody who's basically about to be fighting for, you know, the championship. Um, it, it's been intense, and, and I see the way um, Frankie and Augie work together. Um, in the corner in the corner and just the way she's able to like display everything during during our training sessions be able to put it out there and and really put on a show um it's intense and i i have the time of time of my life life out there just helping her being a dummy just helping her get ready and and re really being able to to see all all of her sacrifices and everybody else sacrifices really really come to the light so when you are going, I think one of the times that you went, uh, you also got a chance to go to Vegas, correct? Yes. Okay. So that meant that you also got some time at the Performance Institute. When you're there, how does that feel like? Because it feels like you're almost getting called to the dance yourself. I'm pretty sure when you walk into it, yeah. you're like, oh, I never want to leave this. This is exactly great, especially when you're a fighter. Uh, what did that feel like one of the first times that you, you found yourself in uh, the UFC's PI? Oh, man, you should have seen me. I felt like I was like a kid in a candy store. I walked in and I feel like my eyes lit up and my jaw dropped. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like a fighter's heaven going on right now. Um, I had the time of my life. I was having so much fun. I didn't. I really didn't want to leave. I was like, "Yo, I totally understand why fighters move out here to Vegas and they bring their coaches out here, and all they do is like train at the PI. Um, it literally has everything you need, and and just the atmosphere itself, and and you know, seeing the kind of the Hall of Fame, and 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 seeing all these fighters I watched as I was growing up, and and really being able to see my dream as as a kid right in front of me." um is it's almost i'm i'm living my dream and I'm, I'm really coming close to really being able to you know wear those ufc gloves and 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 be able to tell people that i'm a ufc fighter and really just accomplish everything i've ever wanted to um and then from there really just like strive to be the best in the world the best that there ever that there will ever be um and so yeah I, i'm getting the itch right now i'm like so excited uh, I, I hope it's soon um but man I, i'm really willing to fight till i get there but I, I am having a good time and i am grateful for where i am in 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 my walk in my career right now can you tell me what the best area of the pi is you know i have a lot of friends who go there um i myself have never been but they will say to me like oh yeah you've been right and i go how why would i ever have been invited i'm not a coach uh to anybody fighting in the ufc and they're like oh right right i just figured because 
you you're old and you've been around and i go no it's not a reason yeah. to go so when people are, are mentioning that everybody always has a bigger or a different takeaway what was your biggest takeaway when you were in there in terms of like what was the best thing that you saw or the, like the best area that you go oh my god i i love this section the most um, yeah, I think while we were out there training um, for Andrage and we were in the cage and we kind of did like simulated kind of like everybody on both sides of the cage and you kind of shake hands and go in the middle. Um, so we were kind of simulating that and I almost had to bring myself back to reality because the UFC cage mixed with, you know, Aaron standing across from the cage from me. I was like, man, I feel like I'm in a fight right now and I'm only in the P.I., um, and so that was definitely my, my favorite part. Cause I, I really kind of got a sense of what it could feel like, uh, being in the cage. And I love, I love being in the cage. I, 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 you know, it doesn't intimidate me at all. I know some people are like, Oh, how do you feel about, you know, being locked in the cage with somebody else that wants to kill you? I'm like, I love it. I love it. There's not a thing about it that, that I dislike. Um, it's, it's always what I wanted to do it. And I, I enjoy doing it. I, I think it's fun. As soon as my fight ended on Friday, I was like, oh, I could fight again right now. I, I, I was just having the time of my life. So, yeah, I would definitely say the cage was, was my favorite part. Sun shining it's, in. It was, it was like a golden moment. <laughs> it's so funny because everybody has a different reaction when they go to the, the PI and that we've interviewed and talked to. And I love that yours was like, oh, the cage that could literally be in any other place. Like, this yeah. cage could have been at any other gym, but because it was there, it felt so special because I think what's great about the experiences you're getting there is you're going to feel so much like you've been there before. And that's so hard to replicate when yeah. you get there because it does seem to be something that is in your future. So I am glad that you are getting these experiences now and, and that you're, you're building and building. Thank you. <laughs> So I would be remiss if I didn't ask this because I've just been looking at the background the entire time. And it looks like <laughs> the family is already into what we call the holiday season. But in case people are watching this, uh, because these things tend to be evergreen and people watch as they come, whenever they come. This is November 6th at this point. And it, I'm going to guess this is only a preview of what the rest of the house must look like. So what does the Klein family household look like and feel like during the holidays? Was this up before Halloween or did you guys at least wait until Halloween was over to get some of this more festive kind of Christmas element looking? So funny story, because we were flying out on Halloween, my mom was... Uh, stern about making sure everything was up so that when we came back that she was already ready for Christmas. So I believe she put it up. I think it was like October 28th or 29th. It was the weekend before we were leaving. And I was literally like, yo, it's not even Halloween. And then if you know me and you know my family, my mom is crazy about nutcrackers. There are nutcrackers in every inch of my house. I think last year I counted, she had like 143 nutcrackers and she already bought, I think like 10 more. Um, so I think she's a little over <laughs> like 150, maybe even 160. She's got like these big ones that are like eight feet tall. She's got like three feet tall ones. She's got like little ornamental ones that are like this big. Um, so yeah, it's it's literally like, if you ever seen like the Santa movie with the giant nutcrackers that come to life and they're like, ah. That's literally my house. They're everywhere, everywhere. She's she's a fanatic over it. So that's that's really what what Christmas is over here. <laughs> so, have you guys ever decorated the house for Christmas and the holidays before Halloween? Because some people adhere to a very strict mm -mm, nope. And I used to grow up in a time when you didn't do any of that until after Thanksgiving. So I feel like every year it kind of like has pushed back a little bit further and further, but it seems like there's a system that had you not fought, you're supposed to be following. <laughs> yeah, normally do it. We do it November 1st, but because we were flying out, she was like, no, nah. she was like, it has to be done before November 1st. It can't be done like 
I think, what did we get back? Saturday? Yeah, she was like, I need to come back and see my nutcrackers everywhere. Um, she was having, like, my brothers throw away pumpkins that were in my house while we were away because she didn't want to see any of them. So she, she's got her own way of doing things. Um, but this year was the first year that we did it before Halloween. Normally, it's, like, November 1st. I have to say, this level of, of precise thinking is <laughs> something that I can appreciate. But I love the fact that your mom is like, it will not be the holiday season if I don't have my stuff up and I will not be flying yeah. back home. Like <laughs> she is letting you guys know this is admission into the house. If you don't do this, out. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Oh, part. yeah. <laughs> do you guys have any kind of traditions that you do over the holiday season or things that kind of uh, become like family keepsakes or food that you end up doing because if there's that much thought that goes into just how the house looks like on November 1st it tells me that there's probably a lot of thought that goes into the rest of the holiday season <laughs> I think it's funny that you say that because I think it's literally the opposite because she puts so much thought into how it looks that like everything else is kind of like eh, we just eat a lot we play like a family game of bingo. That's what we do. We play a, well, I, I guess it's not like a friendly game. It's more like competition. We like, we'll throw a couple bucks out. And so it's, we're playing for money. So things get real competitive. Um, but yeah, I feel like most of like the tradition is, is through the nutcrackers and through the decor. Um, and then, yeah, everything else is kind of just bingo and a, a real lot of food. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of good food. I love the bingo element because, again, compulsive gambler. So when I hear these things, <laughs> it's like you're already conditioned to be at the casino. And uh, as I've gotten older, I have noticed, you know, my wife also loves gambling, which is great. My mother-in-law <laughs> loves gambling. So there have been times when I've, I've gone to Christmas with them, and I think we're going, yeah, this year. I won't be surprised if we're at the casino during the prominent parts of Christmas Eve. So I'm, I'm very much in that realm of, of understanding this. But bingo is of particular interest to me because you mentioned that it gets competitive. You guys throw in a few bucks. It's for money. Uh, when that happens, I do find that it doesn't matter how much the prize money is. It could be 25 bucks. And I think people still get a little serious because they put in some oh, of their yeah. own money. So when that happens... Are things said at that moment because, you know, your family all trains together as well. So there's a little element of you already kind of know each other as both competitors in a combat <laughs> sense, but also family members. So what does that feel like when those stakes are a little bit higher for those bingo games? Because I can guarantee you, I don't think other bingo games probably feel like that one. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like a scrap is bound to happen depending on how, how high the stakes are. And, and if two people get bingo at once, I, I feel like you might as well just find, find it out. I feel like that's our kind of solution to everything is like quick five minute sub only round judges decision. If not, that's our <laughs> bread and butter right there. <laughs> if you like the bingo, uh, a couple different games I could always recommend to you guys. I think there's a game called left, right. I don't know if you've ever played that. It's a dice game. Oh, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, so you basically, it's it's a very fun, simple, easy game. Like a dice game, you kind of go back and forth. Now, the reason why I mentioned the dice game, though, is because it's an easy way to be like, ooh, so now that we got this dice, we can get some craps games <laughs> going. Because I feel craps like you, <laughs> you should probably learn with the family, make it a bonding experience, and say like, you know, this is the year we learn craps, guys. Because the weird part about <laughs> bingo is, Bingo to me in my brain should be pretty cut and dry. The only time it might get a little dicey is if two people yell out bingo at the same time and yeah. then it becomes who did you hear first? And I think that's the only time mm -hmm. when you go like, mm, check the tape. I'm pretty sure I yelled out first. So I think uh, I'll look it up, but there was a couple different board games in there. Uh, that I think it's good. So I think what you should do is this holiday season, take the time to learn some of the games. Learn in your own ha uh, family uh, surroundings. Learn 21 Blackjack with your family so that way you get those practice rounds. Because let me tell you this, the way that you visualize being in the UFC 
is the same way you visualize <laughs> getting comfortable at tables when you're a gambler. Because yeah. uh, when I was now a kid. Now that you say that, I get that. Yeah, when I was a kid, I taught my family craps. I, I taught my family poker. And, you know, I just remembered like telling my mom, I was like, how have you not learned this? And she's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I go, but you're learning from your seven year old child. Like, how does this work? Yeah. So I found that those were good bonding experiences for my family. Uh, what I would suggest, though, is when you guys get to that upper tier, I would say I think it, I think you're getting to the age you should learn some poker. If you don't play poker, yeah. I feel like this is the thing you should be learning. I got, I got to get to that point. I'm, I'm definitely taking it step by step. I'm like, all right, I know roulette. That's like a, anybody can play that. Blackjack's a little up. Then you get into craps, and then, yeah, poker's that top tier where if, if you know how to gamble, you know how to play poker. Because I'll tell you this. There is some small similarities to poker and to jiu-jitsu, and the small similarities that I see is is – Sometimes when I look unassuming in jiu-jitsu, it becomes a big surprise when I beat people in jiu-jitsu. Same thing with poker. Sometimes the people are like, oh, Raph's going to slow play this hand or Raph's going to do this. I'll surprise them and I'll do something dumb or I'll do something crazy. And they go, I can't get a read on this guy. So that's why whenever people are rolling with me, they might be beating me up, but my face never changes. So they'll be like, yeah. I'm winning, but I'm not. And I'm like, oh, they're like, did that submission, was that working on you? And I was like, I don't know. And it's only become from years of playing poker where I would just have that face. And it's like, I don't know, look pretty weak. And meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, oh, this is deep. I think I really am in trouble here. But I have been told they're like, man, no matter what I do to you, you don't have a face that gets phased. So I think that there are those small little things you can pull from it. And more importantly, if your family is competitive, you want to have that little edge so that you can just tell them because yeah. there's nothing quite like playing people heads up in poker. Uh, it gets real, real intense. And the thing that saves me is when I play poker with my friends that aren't training, they never can get mad at me because they know I can beat them up. So they're literally like, they'll always be <laughs> like, I can't believe you did that. And I go, stay calm, dude. We're not fighting. You're you won't come anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Because sometimes they get in your face. They're like, I can't believe you did that. And I'll be like, and? And I'm just really <laughs> upset about it. And you go, exactly. All right. We're not, nobody here needs to fight. So if that's the case right now, I should ask this. Did you get the opportunity to go on over to ADCC this year uh, to the trials recently? I did. Yeah, yeah. I got a chance to go in and watch some of the matches on, um, it was Saturday. Yeah. What did that experience feel like? Because I think it's got to be hard for somebody who is good at jiu-jitsu, competes in jiu-jitsu, to then have those moments of like, I'm fighting, I can't, but maybe in my brain I'm wondering how I would do, maybe I shouldn't come Sunday because I'll be too immersed in it. So like, yeah. what did it feel like for you to be in that environment while at the same time knowing full well you've got fights coming up? Yeah, you know, it, a part of me was definitely like, oh, I could have definitely won. But at the same time, I was like, well, if I win, I'm not going to make any money and get anywhere anyways. So honestly, the fact that MMA pays and, and you could go far in MMA and make a lot of money, um, I was like, yeah, I was like, is there really a lot to be kind of um, moping over? Um, I, the only thing I, I, I moped over is like competing because I, I love to compete. And I, I can compete every two weeks if my body would allow. Um, but to, to solely want to compete in jujitsu and pursue that a, as a career is, is no longer a thought in my mind. Um, I'm like solely focused on MMA now, I, I love being able to do MMA and really be able to use my jiu-jitsu skills in it um, has been the, the the greatest gift that I, I could ever be able to do. Um, but yeah, I was kind of like, eh, I was like, if you win, you don't make anything anyway. So I was like, at least I'll be fighting in a couple weeks and I'll be able to win and make something. <laughs> so yeah, that, that, that's kind of my thought process about it. <laughs> I, I understand, and I know the competitor in you was definitely 
sizing people up. There's a new weight class. I'm pretty sure all those things make you kind of look around and go, hmm, mm-hmm. Not saying I just win everybody, but I would, you know, so you kind of have those moments. <laughs> I'm <would>. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Having said all that, though, would it be safe to say that it's probably not likely that we won't see you at West Coast Trials then? Um, yeah, yeah, no, you probably won't see me over there. <laughs> over there. It's it's a shame because there's a part of me, you know, it, it's the part that my, makes my heart break on these things because I'm like, ah, oh, she's so good at jiu-jitsu and I'd love to see her at ADCC, but then you make this valid point, which is, there's no money. And I go, yeah, no, that's fair. I wish there was money, but <laughs> there's money for like one person and then yeah. little kibbles and bits for everybody else who competes. Yeah. So I don't blame you, but I do have to say this. I think that with or without that, you were somebody who makes full sense being in MMA. And I feel like robbing of you of that experience would be unfair to you. So I'm very much in your corner on continuing that path, and it continues to go so well. So uh, I, I'll just take the L on seeing you at, at like these ADCC competitions and, with the hopes that we'll be able to rope you in like these mega stars in MMA <laughs> that we get to trick into jiu-jitsu every once in a good while, uh, knowing that that is yeah. always full well there. But uh, yeah, it just is. it's that slight bummer of that. But... Uh, you did mention that in your brain, you did mention that's kind of the future of what you would like to see happen in terms of title fights or the ability to go in UFC. What have you seen in your head as your 2024? Because at this point, you've already got a pretty good kind of close. If nothing else comes, we never know. Something might happen. But we do see that there's kind of a nice little bow on a great year that you've had this year. So what do you see your 2024 looking like? Oh, I, I definitely see my 2024 um, being in the UFC um, as soon as possible, hopefully early, early this, this coming new year. Um, and yeah, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens. If I can, I, I plan on getting in and, and doing as much damage as I possibly can and working my way up as fast as I can. Um, so we'll see what happens as far, as far as that, but uh, you'll definitely see me in the, in the UFC for sure. Well, I love hearing that. I want to give you an opportunity right now to go ahead and shout out all your team, your family members who have helped to get you to where you were and, and helped on this. And I know it had to be annoying. Actually, you know what? No, I take that back. I wanted to ask this because I brought up ADCC for a secondary reason. I know now that you're an observer of ADCC, you will be a little more impartial on this one, but I don't know which way you're going to go. I want to ask your thoughts <laughs> on what happens when people go off the mats. Do you enjoy that? Do you not enjoy that? Where do you stand uh, on that? Uh, I feel like if, if if they're in a valid submission, I, I'd say let it rock, or if they're in a, a valid um either mid takedown or mid pass or anything like in the middle where, where they're really actively going for it. I think they should let it rock, but I, I think they're really, they kind of let some people do it and then and stop some people in the mid submissions. And, and they're, I think they're a little bit biased on who they let kind of rock and who they don't. Um, and so I, I think there needs to be a clearer understanding as, if you let them go off, let everybody go off. Or if you stop, then let stop everybody. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I kind of think about it. That's fair. I think that is a nice uh, response because, you know, I obviously have my feel on this one and uh, I, I lean a little bit more on the, I don't know if this is professional uh, sort of line, yeah. <laughs> but I'm also not in charge. And you can't help that some of these athletes are like, yo, I love this. I want to see more of it. And there is a, uh, an argument to be made from these athletes that say like, hey, listen, I got this submission attempt and now they're going to reset us. So in that part of my brain, I go, yeah, I, I can see that. I could understand that. But I felt like some of these guys were going 
uh, to the parking lot, essentially. Like, I thought we were going to see an exit yeah. route there. And you go, well, when does this stop? And how do we enforce <laughs> that? Because in other rules sets for different sports like wrestling, you don't see that. Like, you never see a ring no. out like that. And you think to yourself, when people go, oh, you can't be done. I go, well, they do it. And they've been a bigger sport than we have for years. So what do you mean we can't do it? We just don't want to is the, the kind of mentality yeah. that we have here. So I, I found myself struggling to to do it. But the one thing I am getting is the insight of people who have been to the dance, done well at the dance, and now are keen observers. So I'm pretty sure when you're going there, there was a part of you that was like, <laughs> okay, okay, if I wasn't here, I'd probably have to have about five different plans on what I would do if that was me. Yeah. <laughs> also, you bring up a very valid point, which is, hey, guys, I, I want to remind you, you're not making money for this. Although, y'all need to get yeah. suplexed <laughs> on the concrete. Just yeah. <laughs> you know, let's be professionals here, people, and make some money, but also uh, see our training room tomorrow if we can. Yeah, yeah. It's just you're so prone to injury doing it on like concrete. So then it's like you could get injured. You're still not making money. You're probably gonna get injured, and you know you still don't know if it's gonna. You know you reset. You don't set in the right position. There's just so much room for error when you allow people off the mats, um, and so much more room for argument. You know, yeah. so it that's just it. It kind of like you said, it's a little unprofessional allowing them kind of like fight on the stairs. <laughs> I, I'm just I'm I think it's because I'm hitting the dad phase in my mm. elder statesmanness in this sport. So I'm basically trying to espouse what I think is the actual likelihood of somebody potentially getting hurt amongst all these kids who are like, nah, man, it's so cool because he did that thing. And I go, <laughs> sure, man, I hope you guys don't get hurt. Nah, nah, <laughs> nobody's gotten hurt yet. And I go, yeah, you said yet. And that doesn't seem yet. confidence inspiring because, you know, you <laughs> could see that first person getting injured like that. And then the community would be like, oh, that's a shame. Well, anyway. Uh, here's another tournament, you know, like everybody would just move on very quickly. So yeah, I think that's part why my brain does that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Like I was saying a little bit earlier, I wanted to give you the opportunity to shout out any friends, family members that you wanted to, uh, I'm going to put the camera on you and you could also shout out any sponsors that help take care of you because I have seen that there have been some good people who have been helping out behind the scenes with you. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I always love to thank God first because I wouldn't be here uh, without him. Um, and then I want to thank my parents and, and my family, all my siblings for supporting me. Um, and all my coaches that cornered me, Frankie Roberts, Augie Matias, Aaron Blandfield, and David Cordoba. Um, they're, they're the best people in the world, and I, w I wouldn't want to be surrounded by anybody else. Um, and my nutritionist, Marshall Zukifli, and... Just everybody who's ever supported me, all my sponsors, my my management, KO reps, um, and and yeah, I, I, it's a team effort. So I, I'm really grateful for all of them. Well, I have to say this: the fact that you you made time for me uh, so quickly after your fight, it is so kind and so nice of you. And I can't tell you how much I get excited, and I feel bad. We were supposed to do an interview earlier this year. Things did not work out in terms of the timing, and I just appreciate your patience on making sure that when we did get to interview again, that it would be worth the wait. And uh, I got to tell you, every time I see you, I, I'm I'm looking and I'm I'm picking out something new each time that you do, and I feel like you keep refining stuff. So uh, keep doing that. Congrats to your team and congrats to your family for just all the hard work that they've been able to put in on you. It, it continues to show every single time. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say bye to you off air, but I'm going to go ahead and close this up. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you guys. That's just about to do it for us. But before we get done here, a couple quick reminders. You can like, share, and subscribe this. If you're watching on YouTube, and I think you might be, uh, I'm going to give you a prompt. If you have nothing nice to say about us in this interview, I'm going to ask this. What is your compulsive gambling 
thing of choice whenever you go to a casino or to Vegas. I've already told you my thing is poker. Hard thing about poker, you might be at the tables for a bit. Or you might be done real quick. I don't think I want to be done real quick. I think I want to take people's money for as long as possible. So tell us in the comment section which is yours. You can also become a subscriber of our little program here. You can go on over to high.page backslash grappling hour. Become a member. See these interviews 30 days before anybody else. And uh, if you pay a few extra dollars, you can see some extra bonus content that's not available anywhere else, including tape studies with athletes from LFA, UFC, grappling, you name it, everybody. Bellator, we've got all different types of technique breakdowns from friends. You can see people roasting my competition footage, and you can see extra bonus content for episodes, little mini-sodes that uh, we ask people about steroids, their thoughts on, I don't know, certain things like the athletes that they've competed against, that they have the most respect for. So we have tons and tons of different content that we put up all the time. And uh, if you like this conversation that we have here on the show, you can continue the conversation that we have with our friends and fans on our Discord. All right, friends, that's going to do it for us here at the Grappling Hour. It's been a great day for grappling. We'll see you back on the mats. <laughs>